If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. This is Paul writing. Circumcised on the eighth day, which is the typical way that a Jewish family would deal with their, their son. On the eighth day, they would circumcise them. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, of a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, meaning he obeyed it almost perfectly. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Lord, would you open up our eyes and ears to your word. Help me to speak your message, Lord. Help us to respond to you and follow you and love you even greater than we did before. Amen. In our world today, it seems like everything is up for debate. Have you noticed that? Every, you know, every time you turn on the news, whatever channel it's on, there's always a breaking news at the bottom. And then there's people who give their opinions about, on what happens. You don't really hear exactly what happens. It's not just let's, just, let's just talk about current events, but let's examine from different sides. Uh, the big news last week was that one celebrity hit another celebrity. Did you see it or hear about it? People talk about it, and they say why it was justified or not, and I say, who cares? People talk about Ukraine this war in a distance, and they say they try to talk about it from all sorts of angles and all sorts of sides, and they think they have all the answers. Before that, there was a thing called the vaccination to COVID-19, and people had all sorts of opinions on that. I won't get into that. People, then, we, before that, we had the pandemic, this COVID-19 that hit us hard in the early part of 2020, and people had all sorts of opinion on the pandemic. Well, I'll tell you where that came from, as if you know. What did people debate about before COVID-19? Did we? Maybe it was the COVID that messed with us. You can't remember what people debate about. Whatever's in the headlines, it grabs our attention, and we have to consume it, we have to digest it, and then we have to regurgitate it over and over and over again. And I'm not saying that talking about current events is wrong, but what I am saying is this. Can we channel or direct... I divert that passion 
into loving Christ and knowing Christ. To know all the ins and outs of some event that we are not going to know about, can we channel that energy into knowing Christ? Consuming his word. Delighting in him as a person who came and laid his life down for us. Look at Paul's passion in his day. I'm going to rephrase it for you. I put so much energy and stock in the things of this world. I used to put so much energy and stock into the things of this world, particularly my heritage. I used to value it above everything else. My religion, it was the beacon of my joy. My identity was a Pharisee. And my identity was so wrapped up in that I hurt people because of it. I killed Christians because of it. I thought I was righteous. And according to the law, I was. I had zeal. I had passion. I had enthusiasm. I had energy. I had love. And it was all directed toward the wrong thing, he says. Something other than Jesus. We call these things what? Gods. You can call them other things that you want to. And this ought to be the confession of every human being. This confession is right here. There are gods in my life that I worship. And I don't care if you've been a Christian for a long time. We all have to come to a place where we realize there are small g gods in my life that I worship. And you may say, well, Jesus is the one I worship. He's the premier. He's the one I put first. Yeah, but what are the small g gods in your life that take residence and where your loves are directed toward? What are these things? Even if you're at a place where you don't even believe that Jesus is the Christ, you could at least agree with this. There are gods in my life that I worship. Christians and non-Christians alike, every human being. There are gods in my life that I worship. We call that idolatry. And what is the first two commandments? You shall have no other gods before me. And the second, you shall not make for yourself any graven image, any idols. What are idols compared to Jesus? Paul calls them trash. (laughs) Even the things that he values the most. It's rubbish. It's garbage. Worthy to be thrown out, disposed, burned, put into a landfill, trampled over. This is what he referred to as his heritage, as his righteousness. It's nothing but garbage. Which is really a proper image of what everything is and compared to Jesus. The destination of everything in your life and in my life that is not concerned with Jesus and his eternal kingdom are only temporary. As much joy as it brings you right now, as much satisfaction it brings you and your family, as much acknowledgement and praise that you gives you, it gives you from other people, your accomplishments, 
It's all temporary. It's all fleeting. It's all chaff blown in the wind. It is worthy to be thrown out and burned up like trash. Nobel Peace Prizes, which none of us are probably ever going to win. Raises at work, which all of us probably could, sit, could use one. Any accomplishment, even banners that you would hang over your house of how proud you are of something or somebody. If it has nothing to do with Jesus and his eternal kingdom, it's temporary and it will be gone or people will forget about it. We see Ukraine in the news, people who had so much and yet a country comes and bombs them, they uproot their lives, their homes are destroyed and they have nothing except each other if they still have each other. And they're thankful for each other. So what lasts? Jesus, his kingdom, and his people. People last. In John 15, Jesus talks about bearing fruit. He says, I pray that your fruit would last. May your fruit last. You will bear fruit that lasts. What's he talking about? He's talking about people. Maybe the fruits of the spirit, but also People, your fruit will abide. Whatever is to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ, meaning everything pales in comparison to knowing Christ. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ, which goes along with Luke chapter 9, verse 24. Here's the question. Must I lose in order to gain why can't I have both? He says this before I get to Luke. Whatever to, was to my prophet, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. And here's Luke chapter nine. Jesus says this, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? Must I lose in order to gain? According to scripture, it looks like that is the case. Yeah. Must I lose in order to gain? You do have to lose the world in order to gain Christ. You can't have both. Athletes must train vigorously. Take on a burden put themselves through difficult circumstances in order to get to a place where they can have peak performance. To not be burdened by weak lungs and fatigued legs. Marathon runners must deny themselves of all sugary and fatty foods in order to win the race. You don't think this guy ate this the weeks while he was training for the marathon, do you? This is Iliad Kipchoge. And on Saturday, October 12th, 2019, this man ran a sub-two-hour marathon, the first human to ever do it. He beat it by like 40, by like 20 seconds. What a wonderful accomplishment. He was like 34 years old when he did it, which means there's hope for me. 
right? I don't think so. This guy is elite. And you think that he had to give up something in order to gain this? Did he have to lose in order to gain? Absolutely. Or if you think about people who get married. When I married my wife, I said these words, and forsaking all others. In order to have her and for her to have me, we had to forsake all others for one another. You can't serve both God and money. You can't serve two masters. You can't live in two kingdoms and have a dual citizenship, though in this world you can. But apparently in China, I learned during the Olympics in China, you can't have dual citizenship. You got to choose China or somebody else. You can't have a divided house because Jesus says a divided house falls. You must have an undivided heart. You want to gain Christ. Do you want to know Christ? You must lose not only the world, but your very self. And theoretically, we get it, don't we? I, I get that. But I don't think we know exactly what it is like to live this way. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. What is your goal? What's our goal as a community of people? Resurrection. Life. And the great connection in communion with Jesus and his suffering is the Lord's table. You want to come eat with me? When we eat with Jesus, he says, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. Is there any suffering in that? Or is it just like a happy-go-lucky kind of thing? No, there's great suffering. They're in the upper room the night he gets arrested. He breaks the bread and he gives it to them. This is my body. And then after the supper, he says to them, this is my blood shed for you. I want to know Christ. I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. When the message of Jesus, we often hear that Jesus is going to come and he's going to make your life better, just receive him. You don't often hear with the gospel message that when to follow Jesus is to suffer with him. Well, we don't want to turn people away. We don't want to scare people. There is great loss in following Jesus. But I want to tell you, there is a much higher gain in following Jesus. Because the things of this world, the things that we lose, are temporary, they're fleeting, they're garbage. But the things of Christ are eternal and they last forever. What do you want? This is fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. What a marvelous mystery it is to become like Christ in his death. 
Jesus modeled this for us in his full surrender to the Father. He gave up his life. And in order to be raised from the dead, we too must give up our lives to Jesus, denying ourselves, taking up our cross, where he becomes Lord and Master. And we can say and pray, not my will, but your will be done, just as Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so we become like him in his death. Not that we've already obtained this. Paul writes, I'm not, I'm not already there. It's a process. It's happening now. It's an inner working in me. There's an outer expression of that. But nevertheless, it's happening. I want to know Christ and I will participate in his sufferings. I'll forsake all others for him. And so we transition to this beautiful scene, a challenging scene that happens before Jesus' passion and his death, even before the Lord's Supper. Ray read this for us during our scripture reading, John chapter 12, 1 through 8. But Mary comes into the room. She has this bottle of perfume she breaks it and she pours it on Jesus. And this very uncomfortable scene, these men are eating at the table, reclining at the table. They're wondering, what is she doing? Why is she interrupting like this? Martha's serving. She probably should be with Martha serving. Martha's distracted serving. Judas is concerned that the waste of this expensive perfume wasn't sold and the money given to the poor because he's got other things on his mind. People have been distracted with things that are happening, but Mary's focus is on Christ. Even Lazarus is at the table. He's, he's relaxing. He's probably thinking, boy, I'm so glad I'm not dead anymore. Yet the focus is Jesus. The singular focus of Mary allows her to come to Jesus and anoint him with her most prized possession. In other words, it's almost like trash. I'm, this is waste. This is going to be wasted anyway. I might as well waste it on the Son of God. The great thing is with Jesus, if we take our things that are temporary, the things that are rubbish, and we present them to Christ as an offering, it becomes a beautiful display of worship and affection. The other gospels show that Mary was being a nuisance. Martha complains to, that, to Jesus that Mary should be helping her instead of sitting at her feet. And Jesus says to her, Martha, you're so concerned with these things. But Mary has chosen the better. These distractions, which we could call them the small g gods, the idols in our lives, that contend for our worship. What do we give our attention to? You hear me say that worship is the three A's, attention, adoration, and allegiance. What do you give your attention, your adoration, and allegiance to throughout the week? Sometimes we can't even do it for one hour in a room with other people who are worshiping Jesus. 
And it's tough these days when there's always breaking news on, when there's always a computer in your hand. I've been there, the computer before you on a desk. When there's always people calling, people texting. There's always distractions. Can we lay them aside and put all of our passion and energy into knowing Christ? Mary was not distracted, at least not here. Jesus was her singular focus. And he was to be killed and buried. And Jesus said something about this perfume. He said, she was going to save this for my burial. As if she knew something about the trajectory of Christ. This downward trajectory, this suffering son of God who was going to the cross. She knew something and she had something, but something happened before this. She saw her brother in a tomb for four days and Jesus speak and raise him from the dead. So maybe she thought, why save this perfume for this burial? Why waste perfume on a dead body when that dead body is gonna rise from the dead? I'm gonna bless him now. May Jesus be our singular focus. May he be our passion. Why? Why should he? Simply this, because life, abundant life, comes from him alone. It's him. So Jesus, we worship you today. We confess the gods in our life. We lay them down at your feet. We break them at your feet. Declare that you are God, and we love you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.